So Lord, we just commit this time to you. Thank you for the people that are here. Uh, Your word says wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you are there also. So we know that you are here in our midst and we thank you for it, Lord. As I speak, Father, will you take away anything that is not of you? And Father, set in our hearts the words that you want us to hear and to keep hold of. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, as you've heard, the talk I am doing is on, uh, we are doing the series of the I Am Statements of Jesus, and the talk that I'm doing, that I chose to do, (laughs) for some reason, is I Am the Alpha and the Omega. Um, So, I'll read you the verses that I was given. Revelation 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Can you see that? It's quite small, isn't it? You can't tell when you're on your computer, you see, how big it's going to come out. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord Almighty. If you want to get a Bible and read them, that's fine. Um, just, uh, I, I won't be disturbed by you moving around. And Revelation 22, verses 12 to 16. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. So I don't know why I chose this one, because <laughs> I was quite daunted at first. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's such a massive subject. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And when I started to think about it, all sorts of ideas that perhaps you won't catch on to, I don't know, um, started to drop into my mind about the nature of time, quantum physics, the time-space theorem. (laughs) I live with a man who is... Um, autistic, and one of his big things is quantum physics. I know far more about quantum physics than I ever, ever wanted to know. Um, But if I follow these things too long, they do start to break my brain, so don't worry, I'm not going into it too deeply. Um, I really didn't know how to begin, uh, but then I thought about C.S. Lewis. Now, how many of you have read, I'm sure you've all read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, have you? Have you read the whole of the series of Narnia books? Put your hands up if you have. If you haven't, you need to do it. They're kids' books, but they are absolutely brilliant. So um, I thought um, I'd start by reading you some of um, The Magician's Nephew, which is the prequel book, and some of The Last Battle, which is the final book in the series. Um, I've had to edit it quite because otherwise it would take too long to read the bits that I want to read, so I've edited them together. At the start, the heroes of the story, I think we should have a slide up now, that's it, yep, Polly and Diggory, 
have landed from their own world, Earth, into nothing. They've managed to bring with them a cabbie and a horse, as well as a wicked magician, Diggory's uncle, and a thoroughly evil queen. They are stranded somewhere that is nowhere, no earth even beneath their feet. But then, in the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the earth, voice of the earth itself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful, he could hardly bear it. Then two wonders happened at the same moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. I'm going to just switch this off and cough, because that's what I need to do. <coughs> I didn't switch it off. I thought... No, no, that's it. I switched it the wrong way. <clears throat> um, sorry, where did I get to? Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one as they do on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness, thank you. Next moment, a thousand, thousand points of light leapt out. Single stars, constellations, and planets. This picture is of um, recently discovered star clusters in the furthermost reaches of the galaxy, uh, seen through the Hubble telescope. You all know what the Hubble telescope is. You know, it's a telescope up there takes pictures of the universe. It's amazing what they can take pictures of. As the story goes on, the children realize that the voice is coming from a lion. Slide four. Have you got slide four? Okay, there he is. <laughs> and that it's the lion that is creating the world with its song. <clears throat> the lion is, of course, Aslan, the representation of Jesus. Job 38, verses 4 to 7, says this. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. This is the moment of God, the Alpha, the moment in the, of in the beginning was the Word, the living Word, Jesus, the moment of creation. And this scripture always fills my heart with joy. I love that scripture. So here's a little bit from the last book in the Narnia series, The Last Battle. <clears throat> 
Aslan raised his head and roared, now it is time, then louder, time, then so loud it could have shaken the stars, time. Immediately, the sky became full of shooting stars. Dozens and then scores and then hundreds till it was like silver rain and it went on and on. And when it had gone on for some time, they saw a spreading darkness like a cloud. As the downpour of stars went on, the starless patch in the sky began to grow until they realized that the spreading blackness wasn't a cloud but emptiness. The black part of the sky was the part in which there were no stars left. All the stars were falling. Aslan had called them home. Matthew 24, 29 to 30. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Remember that bit. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And this is the moment of God the Omega, the end of time. In understanding Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, the difficulty is that we live within time, and because of that, we understand time as linear, like a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. But we only see it like that because we're living in it that way. We are born, we live, we die. Beginning, middle, end. There's a partially known and understood history, a more widely understood present, and a future of which we see and understand very little. But God is outside that linear time because he created it. People ask, but what was before God then? If God created the heavens and the earth, who created God? But by that, they're showing a lack of understanding because there is no before God and there is no after God because before and after are time-related words. We only have them because of because time. Hope you're, hope you're still with me. <laughs> Jesus, God, always was, always is, and always will be. When Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he didn't mean he began and he will one day end. He was talking about himself being present and involved in the beginning of our world, and being present and involved in the end of it, like Aslan was in Narnia. But he himself is eternal. And I believe our spirits are as well, because we are called before the foundation of the world. Um, our view of time is limited, because we live in it. Um, and I, I think about these things. I'm sorry if this bores you, but I think about these things every so often. I was thinking, if we live in a straight line like the picture, then maybe God is like a big circle around that straight line, only a circle without circumference. <laughs> <clears throat> then I started imagining time as a big circle with the cross in the center of it. Well, I, I was delighted to find that this is actually a genuine debate in scientific circles. Is time linear, or is it circular, or is it a spiral? Is that your brain's broken yet? 
It's hard. It makes your headache to think of it. So I did go looking for a picture of circular time to show you, but I found something else that really blew my mind, actually. Um, so I'm going to show you. It's a genuine picture. As far as I can ascertain, it's a genuine picture um, taken by the Hubble telescope. And the place where I found it was, it, it was on a scientist's website, <coughs> scientist blog. Um, so the scientists at the Hubble te telescope, this scientist... I don't know, probably many of them, decided they wanted to try and take a picture of the center of the universe. Oh, you shouldn't have shown it yet. You've spoiled me. <laughs> they decided they wanted to take a picture of the center of the universe. Um, they determined that the center of the universe was the whirlwind galaxy, and they took a picture of it. And they can get clearer and clearer pictures. Um, they can take pictures that they can magnify amazingly. So anyway, this picture, it's a genuine picture I found on this scientist's website and is what they claim is the center of the universe where time began. <laughs> Blows your mind, doesn't it, really? Now, I do wonder... Oh, well, I won't go down that road. But anyway, sadly, the scientist in question goes on to state that there is no God sitting at the center of the universe. If anybody's listening, the picture um, is of... Um, the center of the whirlwind galaxy, and it's got the shape of a, is it a black hole, the shape of a cross. Um, and as my husband pointed out to me yesterday, it doesn't just look like a cross, it looks like a cross with someone on it. Um, so anyway, this scientist, she says, doesn't mean there's a god sitting at the center of the universe, um, and explained that it was a black hole, and went on about protons and neurons and things disappearing, and stuff that I can't understand. So, is this the sign of the Son of Man that appears in the heavens? I don't know. But I do know from the Bible there are a few things that have to happen yet before Jesus returns. So, I don't think it's going to be tomorrow. Um, though, the wise, though like the wise virgins in Matthew 25, we should trim our lamps and be ready just in case. So, just for your delight, the next picture is a picture of the whirlwind galaxy. There it is. And they, they've indicated where the, the cross shape is. Um, and as a, an aside, there's also the laminin protein, which I'm sure you've heard of before. You can get it on Christian t-shirts. Uh, laminin protein is something that we have in our bodies. Um, it is described uh, in the simplest of terms as the glue that holds our tissues together. So you can get from that, if you need it, that the cross is not only at the center of the universe, but it's also in our very makeup as human beings. Uh, Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. So all this scientific stuff is all very well. We don't really need this for our faith, do we? I, think, I like to think God puts pointers there for us. It, it excites me that to, to find confirmations like this. Why is it important? Um, well, I think if we don't understand that God is the beginning and end all things, we're in danger of putting our own spirit in his place. I was very much struck by something Andy Robinson said when he spoke at church a few weeks ago, and he said, I can't remember the exact quotation, but he said something like, 
If I myself am at the center of the universe, then I can do whatever I like. But if God is at the center of the universe, then I had better do what he commands. And he does command us in his word. The scripture that I quoted at the beginning, the scripture I was given to talk on, um, contains words that are not really palatable in today's society. Revelation 22, 15. Um, outside are the dogs, who's who, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Well, that's all right, because none of us are sexually immoral or murderers or idolaters, etc., are we? <laughs> but then I thought of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is a word that has no real translation, but it's something like idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, who will, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The reason for that is our words are powerful. So when we speak those words over people, what we're actually doing is cursing them. And if you've had words like that spoken over you, then you need to go and get some prayer ministry to, to get that cut off and um, taken out of you because it has long-reaching effects. My husband's mother, for instance, it's a bit of a strange family dynamic. Eldest son can't do any wrong. My Jonathan, Jonathan's useless. Right from when he was small, I was so angry the first time I heard her say that, but it has far, far-reaching effects. Anything like that that has been said over you, you really need to get it. Um, before the Lord um, and somebody to pray for you. There are people here that can point you in the right direction or can pray for you themselves. Matthew 5, 27 to 8, 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or a woman who looks at a man or lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So my question is, can we really be sure that our hearts are free of anger, of resentment, of hatred? Can we honestly claim to be completely free of these all the time? I know I can't. And with the bigger things like idolatry, murder, and sexual immorality, there are many things that society today accepts as the norm that even encourages have become perfectly acceptable and maybe even required by the world that are not acceptable in the sight of God. I don't say this to judge anyone because none of us is perfect. I'm certainly not. What hope have we if we can't manage to keep up with um, the requirements that Jesus gave us in the Sermon, sermon on the Mount? Well, thankfully, um, the Scripture also says, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So how do we wash our robes? 
if we accept the Lord Jesus, then Scripture tells us that we are washed in the cleansing blood of his sacrifice. We are given robes of righteousness, and we can enter into his presence. Um, it says also about the tree of life, eating of the tree of life. We will have um, the right, I think it says, to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life, if you remember, was a tree that caused God to turn Adam and Eve out of the garden. They had already eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3.22 says, And the Lord God says, The man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. But through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his living a perfect life, fulfilling the law, dying in our place and being raised to life, we can at last have the right to eat of the tree of life and enter into the holy city. So I say, like Paul, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank God for Jesus who came to earth, who kept God's commands perfectly for us, who went to that cross at the center of the universe, the cross around which all time and eternity exists so that we might be saved. Um, now I'm going to play you a song. You can either sing it, if you wish, or you can just sit and let it wash over you. I think it's an absolutely beautiful song. There's only one word in there I don't agree with. <laughs> and if you want to know which one it is, you can come and talk to me afterwards. Um, but not worth throwing out the whole song for that. And I tried to pick something, that um, a, a lyric video that would um, lift, your, lift your spirits. Thanks, Daniel. God of creation, there at the start before the beginning of time. With no point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of life And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath The planet And if the stars were made to worship so loud, I can see your heart in everything you made. Every burning star signifies grace. And if creation sings your praises so
down my heart through all of my failure and pride on a hill you created the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die and as you speak a hundred billion fairies disappear Well, you lost your life so I could find it Part 
cured again. 